Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. It is a delight to welcome you this morning on Palm Sunday. This is a very special day that begins Holy Week, and I would like to remind you that we have Holy Week services on Monday, Thursday at 7 p.m., on Good Friday at 7 p.m., and Easter Sunday at 11 a.m. I hope that you will join us. I want to especially thank this morning all of our musicians, members of our choir who participated in the processional, Pam and Dean Randall who will be playing handbells, Jake Gardner, our wonderful vocalist, and Beth Chapman who is playing both handbells and piano, and Jill Gardner on organ. It's just wonderful to be able to hear our organ. This is its debut after a period of refurbishment. Welcome. I hope that you will observe a holy, holy week and that you will join us for the special services that are planned. Will you join me in reading responsively the call to worship? Humble and riding on a donkey, we greet you. Acclaimed by crowds and caroled by children, we cheer you. Moving from the peace of the countryside to the corridors of power, we salute you, Christ our Lord. You are giving the beast of burden a new dignity. You are giving majesty a new face. You are giving those who long for redemption a new song to sing. With them, with heart and voice, we shout, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Our opening hymn is All Glory, Laud, and Honor. Ha 
in the opening prayer. Holy God, you reveal the truth about your people and the ways of our world in the suffering of the Son and in his steadfast love. Show us again the image of humility you desire for us and teach us obedience so that self-emptying may be our pathway through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We'd like to ask for the attention of the children for children's time. During lunch, we have a number of special foods. You may know that on Shrove Tuesday, which is the day before Ash Wednesday, we have pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. Uh, the reason is that in households that were planning to observe Lent, they had to use up all of the fat in the household that would not be used during Lent. And so uh, they made pancakes. Also, there are hot cross buns. They are a sweet yeast bread with candied fruits and a cross made of icing on the top. But one of the oldest Lenten foods is actually the pretzel. 
A pretzel looks like somebody with their arms folded in prayer. This is also the sign for love. But arms folded in prayer, and they actually originated in the seventh century, and uh, they were very popular because many people did not eat during Lent meat or any fats or any eggs or any dairy. And pretzels originally were made just with flour, water, and salt. So they were, they were eaten starting on Ash Wednesday, and on Good Friday, they were no longer available. There was a baking accident one year. There was a monk who actually fell asleep when the pretzels were baking, according to the story, and turned the pretzel into a very crunchy uh, little bread item, but found out that that made them last longer. And so they were able to give them to the poor and not have to uh, make sure that they were eaten within a day or two. In Latin, they were called brasile, which means little arms, because they look like arms that are, are folded in prayer or wrapped in prayer. Uh, then in German, it became bretzel, and from that we get our word pretzel. But they're a Lenten food, and I hope that as you enjoy pretzels any time of the year, but especially during Lent, you remember that they are a sign of God's encircling love, and also that Lent is a time of prayer. Thank you this morning for your attention. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday on Easter Sunday. Let us pray as we prepare to receive God's word. Eternal God, whose word silences the shouts of the mighty, quiet within us every voice but your own, Speak to us through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may receive grace to show Christ's love in lives given to your service. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 118th Psalm, beginning with the first verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 11th chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the first verse. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a do door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, here we are on Palm Sunday. We are not all together in the sanctuary. We cannot process as an entire congregation from outside to inside, waving our palms and singing all glory, laud, and honor. But Palm Sunday always invites visuals that we can imagine, the triumph and the joyful crowd and the children. On the other hand, there are events set in motion by what Jesus did this day that would lead directly to his execution five days later. So Palm Sunday, is it a triumph or a tragedy? Mostly we go for the triumph. We prefer the let's have a parade theory, sort of a dress rehearsal for Easter. But more is going on, and we cannot deny that reality. The story begins earlier and miles away in Galilee, where Jesus of Nazareth lived and for three years taught in the synagogues and in the fishing villages around the lake and on the hillsides and on the roads. He had gathered followers, disciples, men and women who accompanied him, and as his reputation as a gifted rabbi grew, so did the concern of religious and political authorities all the way down to the capital city of Jerusalem. Delegations were sent from Jerusalem to investigate him. They challenged him, they argued with him, they baited him. But he was safe in Galilee because he was with his own people, rural, small town people mostly, poor people mostly, people who would not have been much impressed with these delegations of educated, sophisticated, urbane experts from the big city, having come all the way up from the big city to harass and implicate one of their own. But now he's decided to go to them. He's decided to go to Jerusalem. 
His closest friends tell him not to do it. It's a big mistake. Why on earth would you want to go to the capital city where, under the wary, watchful eyes of the occupation, art, occupying Romans, a peasant from Galilee could get into a whole lot of trouble? When he rejected their advice and set his face toward Jerusalem, they followed, reluctantly, frightened about what might happen to him and to them, for that matter. I don't know how you picture Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. My imaginings of the procession changed when I read in a biblical commentary about the scale of the Passover festival in Jerusalem around 30 AD. A Roman census showed that almost a quarter of a million lambs were sacrificed in the week-long ritual. Jewish law required that at least 10 men be present for the sacrifice of one lamb, which would mean that, that there were approximately two and a half million Jews in Jerusalem for Passover. Every adult who lived within 20 miles was required to come to Jerusalem, and Jewish men and women made the pilgrimage from all over the world. This morning, our gospel lesson tells us about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, but it doesn't tell us that it was one of two processions that day. Pilate had had a parade of his own, and it was an impressive show of military force. I highly commend John Dominic Crossan's book about Holy Week. But this particular parade involved military show, horses and weapons and soldiers. He wanted people to know who had come from all over the world for Passover that unrest would not be tolerated. Jesus' more humble parade, arriving on a donkey without an impressive entourage, drew people who knew that such was a procession of the Messiah as foretold by the prophet Zechariah. They knew their scripture, and so they knew what they were looking at. So they lined the streets with their cloaks, and they waved branches, and they shouted, Hosanna. You may think that Hosanna was a special greeting for a prominent person at that time, or perhaps simply the first century Aramaic equivalent of welcome. Hosanna actually appears only one other time elsewhere in the Bible, in the 118th Psalm, our Old Testament lesson for today. And it's actually a translation of two words. Hosanna means save us. It was not a greeting. It was a cry of desperation. And so I imagine two and a half million people gathering in the city, each of them with some pressing burden from the concerns that, that plague our loved ones. Hosanna, save us. From Roman oppression, Hosanna, save us. From loneliness, from guilt, Hosanna, save us. We might say from COVID-19, Hosanna, save us. Things are not right in the world. All Jesus' life, he has been aware that God is relentlessly at work to bring justice and mercy to a broken creation. For thousands of years, God tried through patriarchs and judges, kings and prophets and priests, to reconcile a rebellious humanity to himself. 
God is always seeking to be in relationship with us. A flood didn't work. The exodus didn't work. Nor two tablets of commandments. The gift of a promised land failed to bind the people to the covenant. Judges were followed by kings to no avail. Prophets warned of the consequences of disobedience. Nations fell. People suffered. Slavery was conquered by a Persian deliverer. The temple was rebuilt, and still people rebelled against God. But if one thing didn't work, God tried another. If one leader, one people didn't bring the salvation God intended, God went back to the drawing board, and he did it over and over and over again. What Jesus knew was that God was going to fulfill God's will one way or another. So Jesus decided early on that it may as well be through him. That, after all, is why Jesus had been conceived, to be the incarnation of God's redeeming, self-giving love in the world for the world. And Jesus knew early on what that meant and where that would lead. No one, especially the Son of God, can swim in the face of the world's importance for long before that world puts you out of its misery. There were forces at work far beyond human consciousness that would lead to the cross. A cosmic drama was being played out, and only Jesus was aware of the script. The whole Palm Sunday story is about God working beyond the willing participation of human beings. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, called this prevenient grace, God's movement far ahead of our awareness and our willingness. Go into the village, Jesus tells two disciples, and fetch the young donkey that is tied there. When the owner asks what you're doing, tell him the Lord needs it. And the story unfolds exactly as Jesus has predicted. There are forces at work here beyond human understanding. During the ensuing parade into the city, the Pharisees are upset at the riot that the disciples have initiated. Order your disciples to stop, the Pharisees tell Jesus. And Jesus' response is, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Something bigger is happening here. That is what Jesus is saying. Bigger than our intentions, bigger than our emotions, bigger than our understanding. All through Holy Week, the players think that they are the ones who are, who are writing the drama. Judas thinks that he has seized the initiative. The temple priests and Herod and Pilate all believe that they are masters of the moment. Peter and the disciples are convinced that they can protect Jesus. The crowds elect Jesus on Sunday and condemn him on Friday. But there are far, far larger forces at work this week, and Jesus is the only one who knows the script. And because he is the only one who understands what God is doing, he is the one person, the only person throughout all of Holy Week who can give himself willingly, willingly to God's redemptive work. Everyone else is a victim of their own or someone else's foolish and clueless self-importance. 
The only way that any of us can be conscious and willing participants in God's holy work to save the world is, like Jesus, to surrender the lie that the world depends on us. God is going to do what God is going to do, with us or without us. But when we surrender ourselves, as Jesus did, to God's will to heal the world in God's way, not ours, then we become agents of that redemption. Then and only then do we become God's hands. Then and only then does the world depend on us precisely because we have surrendered any claim that it might. It's exactly what Jesus means when he tells us that we only save our lives by losing our lives and lose our lives by keeping it. You might as well shout because if you don't, these very rocks will. So this morning, most of us are watching from home without palms to wave. I would like to ask that each person find a stone today, a stone that will be a symbol to you of God's redemptive activity in the world. I want you to put the stone somewhere where you will see it each day, on the kitchen table, or if you want to keep it with you during the day, perhaps place it on your dresser so you'll remember to put it in your pocket every morning. Put it somewhere where it will be a constant reminder to you that this Holy Week you want to surrender yourself. You want to surrender your wishes, your desires, your importance to be an agent of God's larger transformation in the world. Keep those stones before you as a symbol of the hope of that crowd greeting Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, the crowd who thought he could save them. When we are able to gather again, I will ask us to place these stones on the altar so that together we can remember who we are as the church, a community that prays and works and loves others as part of God's redemptive activity in the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.
us affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for gathering us this day. We thank you for the beginning of Holy Week, which brings us to Jerusalem and allows us to walk with Jesus. Help us to live into these narratives this Holy Week. As we prepare ourselves to once again hear of the suffering and death of an innocent, we pray for the people of Atlanta, Georgia, the people of Boulder, Colorado, the people of Virginia Beach, Virginia, in the wake of the shootings that have taken 20 lives. We pray for the first responders who put themselves in harm's way, for the families who received devastating news, for the children whose daddy or mommy will never come home again, and for the tormented souls who carried out this unspeakable bloodshed. Lord, have mercy. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Teach us not to hate, but to love. Teach us to seek out the lonely, the isolated, the angry, the bullied, the ones in desperation and pain, that our circle might be wide enough that all may enter and find a home among us. Turn us from our warring ways that we might find hope and peace on a new path called grace. We pray also this day for all who hurt or are facing challenges, for those who are recovering, those who are lonely, those who are grieving. Though we know you are with us always, we especially praise you for the joys in our lives that words cannot contain. The birth of a grandson and great-grandson, the gift of healing, the beauty of spring, the gorgeous music in today's service, and this holy week in which we walk with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name now as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is Hosanna, Loud Hosanna.
Hosanna, hallowed Hosanna, the little children sang through pillar court and temple. The the best from all of it they followed mid an exultant crowd the victor palm branch waving and chanting clear and loud the Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. May you go forth into this holy week, and may love be your way in the world. Amen.